0: Uh says, good morning. It's good to be here. I am a regional minister in the Evangelical Missionary Church of Canada and uh, part of what I do is recruit pastors uh, because I do a pastoral search for churches on a regular basis and uh, with that it's like feast or famine. Sometimes there's four or five churches open and right now there's nothing. That doesn't mean in a couple of months I'm gonna get a call from a pastor and say, I think the Lord is tapping me on the shoulder. I think I'm done here. And I think I need to move on somewhere else. And I'm going, well, what now? Uh, But then I'm thinking, uh, okay, Lord, who? And what does that look like? So maybe some of you are the who. So I'd be glad to uh, talk to you. And my name is not Horton. Um, You guys don't know. Okay, Horton here's a who. Sorry, sorry, it was bad. Uh, it wasn't that bad. (laughs) Okay, uh, hear the word of the Lord. John chapter 14, verses one through six. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am great theme for the fall i am a narrative is a storyline playing in everyone's heart and mind and it's a story that leads us uh motivates us to thoughts feelings actions and particularly when it comes to finding developing building discovering a relationship with god or not with god And taking into account an entire population, there are many and varied storylines playing out as backstories in the hearts and minds of our culture. Pluralism is a narrative. Pluralism is the idea that there is a diversity of systems. So here's a picture that's on the wall of the Shiloh Canadian Forces Base Faith Community Center. Part of my role is to minister to our EMCC ordained chaplains in the military. And uh, I've been at Esquimalt Bay, uh, I've been in Shiloh, Manitoba, and just recently I was, and it's really cool taking care of chaplains. Because when you go on to the army base, you're the same rank as them or one above. So when I'm uh, in the officer's mess, I'm a major. And I'm looking at me and going, how in the world did that happen? (laughs) But there's a structure there, right? So I'm going, okay, I'm a major. And then I step off and I'm going, oh, I'm just Lynn. But anyway, it's really cool hanging out with those guys. And um, one time, uh, Albert, pastor, uh, uh, chaplain at uh, Shiloh CFB, said, when you come, we're going to go out to the firing range and we're going to watch them shoot artillery. And I said, that is way cool. Um, That's awesome. So, you know, we go out there, I put on the, the helmet, the flak jacket, and I am... From here to the sound booth away, and they're shooting those triple triple uh three triple sevens and uh the impact is hitting I, okay i'm'm I'm in the weeds here it was a cool it was a cool experience <laughs> on the way back from the firing range uh <clears throat> uh we, we went into the faith community center and, and I was touring uh the, the hall and this was the picture that was on their hall and this is a perfect example of pluralism. And this was donated to the Canadian uh, Forces Base Faith Community Building on behalf of the Baha'i Faith. One light, many lamps. So in other words, in a monotheistic uh, religion, there is one God and there are many prophets and they all lead to the same God. Whether it's Krishna, uh, Moses, Buddha, Jesus, Mohammed, Bahua, Allah. So, this is a reflection of one of the cultural narratives that's playing out in people's hearts and minds as they go about their day. There are, there's one God, but there are many ways to God. And of course, there are other religions where uh, there are many gods, but in this particular one, that's the narrative. Many ways to choose. Many competing pathways, many competing truths to the one true God. And these diverse pathways and directions to God are all competing for space in hearts and minds in the search for happiness and fulfillment, oftentimes ending up in pessimism and confusion. There's another predominant storyline that's growing and that's moralistic therapeutic deism. Anybody ever heard that? All right, MTD, and that is growing in uh, Christianity over the last few years. 65% of Canadians believe in God, and 55% say they are of the Christian faith. However, uh, Rod Dreher, cultural analyst, recently claimed that MTD is replacing biblical Christianity across our culture. So what is moralistic therapeutic deism? Well, it is that God exists, and he created and ordered the world and watches over human life. He wants people to be good and nice and fair to each other. The central goal of life is to be happy, and God does not need to be particularly involved in our lives unless we are in crisis and we need Him. So that's moralistic therapeutic deism. And a desire for safety, security, comfort, and ease form the foundation for this particular spiritual worldview with God as this cosmic superhero who swoops down to help us out when times are tough and then he goes back to wherever his place is and we go on with our life. But this really messes with people when good things happen to or when bad things happen to good people. So if that's the God I serve and bad things happen to me then who is God? And why did he not come and swoop down and help me? So you see the dangers in this particular narrative. One of the unintended consequences of this particular spiritual worldview is a weakened standard with which we define our lives and how we live, leaving it wide open for current culture as the predominant force that shapes and molds our attitudes, our behaviors, and our character. This is a weak, weak system, but it is a narrative playing out in people's hearts and minds. A third one is secularism and it is on the rise in Canada and it is vying for space in our hearts and minds, either meaning atheism or agnosticism or just a desire to exclude religious considerations from social and civic affairs. And this is something that showed up in our recent elections. In fact, I heard an acceptance speech uh, that contained socialism uh, or secularism and they wanted to actually be, we are a secular culture and they were pushing that forward. Of course, an atheist does not believe in the existence of God. An agnostic is someone who believes that nothing is known or can be known of the existence or nature of God. They would neither claim uh, faith nor disbelief in God. But the problem with a narrative of secularism is that in the end, we are all we've got. How's that working for us? We are all we've got. that is a problem. We become the solution to our own problems and that has not worked out very well for us. So it's not a good news narrative. When we were driving back from the firing range, the chaplain asked our Jeep driver about his faith journey and he said, what was your, what was like life for you as you were growing up as far as faith? And he says, well, I grew up agnostic. And then he said, but basically you could say it was just confusion. And then he kind of went, like, whatever. It was confusion, and I don't think about it. A significant fallout of confusion, though, is that leads to pessimism. And pessimism is toxic. The chaplain said the challenges he deals with in the military, not unlike our culture, are cutting, suicide, pessimism, and confusion. And that's the storyline in many that are in the military, they have a 75% divorce rate. That's a 25% higher than than the national average. There's a 70% rate of couples living together, and then there is this recycling of families about every seven years, moving from one house to the other on the same base. So pray for our chaplains, pray for our military. That is a, in some ways, a toxic environment. Um... So just just to note, pray for our military. Secularism, recent data and from research projects that's going to come out in 2020 uh, across Canada indicate that there's a growing segment of the population that self-identifies as secular. That's no religious preference. The surprising information coming out of the data is that um, secularism grows from east to west, In other words, the Maritimes, Atlantic Canada, is the least secular region of the country. Anybody here from the Maritimes? You come from the least secular part of the country. Quebec is the second least secular province in Canada. So we go, what? But 80% of people identify with the Catholic Church. There's a 20% attendance rate but there's an 80% affiliation. So Quebec, is the. Is anybody here from Quebec? What? Okay, Mark, you have work to do. Okay, so, uh, and, and moving across, moving across the country, and so what that means is when you hit British Columbia, anybody from British Columbia? So way to go, guys. Um, you know, I did, sorry, sorry. Um, BC is the most secular province, and Victoria, being the most secular place in the country, at about 51% with no religious affiliation. And that's pretty huge in Canada. And even though 55% of Canadians claim to be of the Christian faith, secularism is on the rise at about 1% to 2% per year, particularly amongst millennials. So that's the movement of secularism and the rise of secularism. And that's the narrative, one of the main ones that's playing out in our Canadian culture. Add to secularism, then, the postmodern worldview where the premise is that no definite terms, boundaries, or absolute truths exist. Dr. Ravi Zachariah uh, told a story in Preaching Today magazine. In an article entitled If the Foundations Be Destroyed, he said, A while ago I did a lecture at Ohio State University. As I was being driven to the lecture, we passed the Wexner Art Center. So the driver said, This is the new art building for the university. It is a fascinating building designed in the postmodernist view of reality. The building has no pattern. Staircases go nowhere. Pillars support nothing. The, I, it's true, the archi- i looked it up. Google it. Well, not right now, but I mean, when you get back to your computers before one o'clock in the morning, you will be able to uh, find uh, that. Uh, The architect then designed the building to reflect light. It went nowhere and was mindless and senseless. So he said, I turned to the man describing it and I asked, did they do the same thing with the foundation? And he laughed, he says, you can't do that with a foundation. Isn't that ironic? Ravi said something interesting about the postmodern worldview. He says, you can get away with the infrastructure. You can get away with random thoughts that sound good in defense of a worldview that ultimately doesn't make sense. But once you start tampering with the foundations, you begin to see the serious effects. The foundations are in jeopardy. The foundations of our culture do not provide coherent sets of answers anymore. And this is in reference to a postmodern and secular worldview that is competing for space in our thoughts and ideas that govern societal patterns and the trajectory of our culture. Abdu Murray wrote a recent book called Saving Truth in which he noted the 2016 word of the year was post-truth. I didn't even know that there was a word of the year, but apparently this has been a thing for a while. Where have I been? Four blocks north, I know, but uh, so the post-truth is the word of the year in 2016, meaning this. Feelings and preferences have replaced facts and truth. Feelings and preferences have replaced facts and truth, resulting in a culture of confusion disjointed from itself. So one of the consequences in a post-modernist worldview is that coping mechanisms for actual life are wearing thins. anxieties on the rise, especially in children and teens. Fear and chaos are themes that lead the news, and we continue to live in a new normal of relative truth with no moral absolutes. So those are some narratives that motivate and drive our culture, and we live in it. We're steeped in it. We're porous people. We absorb these from time to time. That is our world, and that's just a a short example, a small example of what it is, our na- those narratives. But in the middle of all the varied narratives of our culture comes this clear, compelling voice of Jesus challenging the storyline with a narrative that says, I am. I am. I am. Inviting us into relationship. Jesus made the bold declaration in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thank you, Madison, for choosing that song. I was hoping it would pop up, and there it is. Thank you. Quite literally, I am and I exist as the real way and the real truth and the real life and way of living. No one comes to the Father except through me. This was a significant statement. He made this claim to his disciples, addressing the question of how to find their way to God. Right up until the eve of, of his crucifixion, the disciples did not understand the way he was going, which was the way of the cross. And this bewildered Thomas asks the question that everyone was thinking, We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus' response of, I am the way and the truth and the life was not a part of their storyline. It wasn't their narrative. It was like, huh? They had a different narrative. Their narrative on how to find their way to God was a Jewish narrative. Their way, truth, and life was about following and observing the truth embodied in what was written in the law and the prophets and the rewarding life that comes from following the pathway of God's laws. It was not wrong. It was their narrative up to that time. But it just hadn't been seen yet as being fulfilled in the life of Jesus. The way was following the law and the prophets. And the Jews had constant conversations about the way they must walk and the ways of God. Deuteronomy 5 32 and 33, God said to Moses, you shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you. Deuteronomy 31, Moses said to the people, I know that after my death you will surely act corruptly, turning aside from the way which I've commanded you. That's the way. The truth was the narrative of the law and the prophets. The psalmist, 86 verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Psalm 26.3, for your steadfast love is before my eyes and I walk in faithfulness to you. Psalm 119.30, I have chosen the way of truth. That was their truth. And they had the life. That was the rewarding life that comes from following God's laws. Proverbs 6, the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Proverbs 10, he who heeds instruction is on the path of life. Psalm 16, you show me the path of life. That was their narrative. The the law and the prophets, the commands, we fulfill them, we walk them out, it's truth and that is what brings us life. But what happened when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life is, he flipped their narrative. He flipped it. Well now what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to believe? But he flipped it. Making this proclamation, I exist as the real way, the real truth, the real life and way of living. No one comes to the Father except through me. And they're going, What? So, what he taught in that moment was the same thing he taught in the Sermon on the Mount a number of months before when he said in Matthew 5 17, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. They're not going away. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That's the difference. The way Jesus flipped their narrative was that now all the law and the prophets were not abolished, but rather fulfilled in him. So the disciples' paradigm shift is that way, truth, life are now embodied in a person who is the pathway, in a person who is truth, and in a person who is life. That's different because you can have a relationship with a person, and that's who Jesus was inviting them into. When he proclaimed, I am, he was stating that he himself was the way, truth, and the life. The way is a person. The truth is a person. The life is a person. He was not only saying, I will point you to, or I will teach you, or I will describe for you, but I actually am the authoritative answer to life's problems and perplexities. So this is not me giving you a recipe. This is me inviting you into a relationship with the I am. This is me inviting you into a relationship with The truth. It's just me inviting you into a relationship with the life. Come, follow me. Just to briefly unpack these a bit. Jesus said, I am the way and the way is a person. I don't like to hike. I hate hiking. Anybody? Okay. Who likes to hike? Oh, for crying out loud. (laughs) So... I hike on a regular basis. Well, I used to. And then my knee gave out, so I can't hike anymore. So that's why I don't hike. But my friend David loves to hike. And I like hanging out with my friend David. And he loves to hike. So I would hike with him. So I would hike on a regular basis in the mountains. And he'd say, where do you want to hike? And I said, I don't care. As long as we're by water or headed to water. And if there's no water, I'm not going. Just get me by water, to water. And he says, no problem. We'll hike. So I've hiked a lot in Kananaskis, in the mountains north of, if, if it's a mountain range, I've been on it. That's a lie. But, um, it, <laughs> you know, it just, you know. So, but here's the thing. We'd get out of the car and David would take his, his, his map and put it in a little plastic sheet, take it out of the folder, and he would walk, And I would always follow David. Because he was my path. I didn't have the pathway. He was my pathway. That metaphor probably will break down along the way. But that's a little bit about what that whole thing is. When Jesus said I am the way. He was saying follow me. I'm the path. And uh, I'm going to skip over to. Jesus said I am the truth. The truth is a person. We all grow up. We, we all grew up being taught to tell the truth. Anybody here grow up saying, you know, you ought to lie, you ought to lie more? Don't put up your hands. But I mean, that just doesn't make any sense, right? Tell the truth. No one, but no one embodied the truth like Jesus, who not only tells the truth, speaks the truth, embodies the truth, because he is truth. It, it's him, he is truth. He is the truth from heaven, John, 1 John 5, 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true and his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. So we've seen a significant shift in our culture and where we find truth, isn't that right? Where do we find truth? As followers of Jesus, we know that we receive our truth as revelation from above. It, it's outsourced. Our truth is outsourced. It's revelation from above and we receive it. In the Grafe word. and the logos word. Jesus is the word. And that's a sure foundation. It's absolute and that sure foundation for us to build our spiritual worldview. The storyline though that's embedded in our culture is that it is relative truth. We find truth from below. We create our own truth from our own experiences. That's where we source our truth. In my experiences, my life, my experiences, everything that's going on with me, this is my truth. Now, your truth is for you, and your truth is for you, and it's all different. But and so, but it's this is where we gain our truth, and it's very relative, and it's actually really difficult to now to seems difficult to have a conversation because the, there's no common source to start the conversation because it's disjointed. Uh, my wife and I were with. Uh, Uh, our son, Sean and Tiffany, with their granddaughters. We were at Bauer Ponds in Red Deer when the river broke up. That's cool. Well, the granddaughters are cool, but the river breaking up was really cool too. So what was happening was this snapping and popping, and then the river began to flow in chunks. And we just sat there and watched it for an hour, just amazed. This chunk of ice would flow up into that one and this one would crash into that one and this one would bang into that one and there was this chaos and you could no longer walk across the river on the ice. Some idiot probably would try jumping from ice chunk to ice chunk but they would die. Don't put up your hands, guys. Don't even go there. So we're watching this go, and, and, and water was flowing this way, and it was, it was chaotic. It was disjointed from each other, and that's kind of what happens when we take a look at uh, this whole idea that um, truth is relative, and so there's pods of truth all over our culture crashing into each other. He said, I am the life. Paul said in Romans 8, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. And our lives are defined by the life of Jesus in us. When we live like Jesus, for Jesus, empowered and filled with the spirit of Jesus, it is in following, living out the life of Jesus in us that we find our identity, our purpose, and our power for living. And I love the way Eugene Peterson put it in his book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction. It is Christ, not culture, that defines who we are. We are defined by the life of Jesus in us. I'm going to skip the next page. We're going to go over to the application, okay? Thanks for keeping up with me. We have a narrative. So, what do we do with this? We have narratives that are all over the place, but we have this narrative, this I am narrative, where Jesus comes to us and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, what do we need to do with this? What do we do with this this morning? We need to have our narrative flipped as well. Because I'm not sure we actually get the I am narrative. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Because in Western Christianity, we have a narrative of decline. Christianity is declining in the West. That's the song that's playing in some of our hearts and our heads. Maybe a younger generation, not so much so, but in those of us who remember Christendom. Do you remember Christendom? What that was like? Good, bad, and ugly? It was there. We remember that. So this declining narrative is there because we've been losing um, our uh, Judeo-Christian principles at this enormous rate. It's eroding. We're unable to control it. We're unable to hold it back. We try to vote it back in. We try all kinds of things to get back the narrative of Christianity, of Christendom. And now it seems that we are, in Ed Stetzer's words, negotiating the terms of our surrender in Canada. Looks like we've We're not going to get to keep our law school. (laughs) We've lost our definition of marriage. We've lost the value of life at the beginning with abortion. And no one seems to be talking about that or addressing it. It's like like you have leprosy if you bring it up. We've lost the value of life at the end with growing uh, push for euthanasia. And if you've lost value at the beginning and the end and there's no value in the middle, and what that looks like is everyone does what's right in their own eyes, but we might get to keep our summer jobs grant. We might. So we've seen this thing come and go, but over the last 50 years, we've seen the same culture push aside these values, embrace different and various storylines, and push Christianity out to the margins. Thank you, Jesus. That's where we flourish. We flourish out there. But if we continue to come at life based on a paradigm that is a declining narrative, then we will become increasingly irrelevant as North America continues to diversify and become more complex, and we nullify the narrative of I am. So what do we need? We need a good news narrative where Jesus comes into any, every corner of our lives and lived out into every corner of our culture Lived out through us into our culture with the good news of I am the way, the truth, and the life. This good news narrative was the same narrative as the Antioch church that sent out Saul and Barnabas and John Mark. They were missionaries from a diverse culture sent out to a diverse culture with the good news of the gospel. Where Jesus is the only route to God the Father. Where Jesus is the only one who can forgive sins. Where Jesus is the only one through whom we can have eternal life. Where we listen to the spirit of Jesus for the conviction of our need for God. Where we listen to Jesus say, come follow me. Where we receive Jesus as Lord, Savior, Christ, Victor as the Son of God. We need a good news narrative. That's what we need to define our lives. Why? Why do we need a good news narrative? Because people are broken. And our world is falling apart. And the storylines don't make any sense. Only Jesus makes sense. Foundations are under attack. Civility is under attack in shopping malls and high schools. And streets in Toronto and on and on. So what happens in the heart of the soul of the culture when these things go on? When secularism is all we've got, when we're all we've got, this is what happens. Lane Ogden is a psychologist for more than, with more than 25 years of experience and he shared his thoughts regarding those who survived this worst mass shooting in US history in Las Vegas, October of 2018, 52 people killed and many others injured in that kill zone. So what was going on in them as they were experiencing that? What were they experiencing? He said, they had this feeling, a sense of unreality, of disjointedness, sort of like waking up on another planet where no one is is sure what rules pertain or what expectations can be trusted as accurate to manage the shifting environment. What used to work doesn't work anymore. And all that's left is this instinct to survive. He said, in that moment, they experienced a cascade of four things, grief, fear, fear, Confusion and anger. And he says, those four things continue in their lives right up until today, not just in the moment. He said, tragedies forever change those who survive them. Experiencing trauma permanently alters the landscape. It demands a reshuffling of perspective, a redefinition of what's possible with the realm of a frightening new reality and a shifted, more thinly stretched deployment of coping mechanisms. And all these still linger today in the lives of those individuals in the form of what we now have come to know as post Traumatic Stress Disorder. And he also noted that you and I are survivors as well. We weren't there, but we've seen it from a distance. We've experienced it. And as a culture, what is being stripped from us is this sense of stability, control, and this thin illusion of real safety. It doesn't exist anymore. There was a shooting in Cross Iron Mills Mall, for crying out loud. We pass that place all the time. And in the U.S., no one is more than 20 miles away from a mass shooting in 2019. That's how many there have been. It's insane. So these traumas play out from a distance, but we experience them in our own soul. So this modern culture, stairways leading nowhere, pillars holding up nothing, um, our culture needs a new narrative. And they need that new narrative through you. You need a new narrative. You need an I am narrative. I need an I am narrative. But our culture also needs an I am narrative. It's the voice of Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It was prophesied in Isaiah. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. He will be the sure foundation for your times. I love the way scripture comes millennia into my soul forward for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this. So in a world where it seems competing narratives form and shape our culture that are random, senseless, leading nowhere. In a world where it seems the foundation of civility is cracking. In a world where there is secularism with no value for God, nor the things of God. In a world where each one is doing what is right in their own eyes, in a world where storylines with no foundations lead to confusion, which leads to pessimism, which leads to hopelessness, into this world comes Jesus with a sure foundation, a sure narrative for us, the narrative of I am. It's a good news narrative. It's a good news. It's a gospel narrative. That's our narrative. We need a good news narrative where Jesus comes into every corner of our lives and lived out into every corner of our culture with the good news of I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's one more slide, but I don't think I can go there because the class is at 11.15. So your professors will do a narrative on me. Can I pray for you? I'd love to pray for you. <sighs> Jesus. Jesus. The great I am. I am. We gather in this place, Jesus, under the banner of your name. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is glory. And on and on and on. You are holy. You are high. You are exalted. You are lifted up. You are amazing. And you speak into our hearts and lives today, and you invite us into a relationship with the great I am. Oh, my goodness, it just blows our minds. That you would invite us into a relationship not a distant god that sends down laws and commands those are good it's a reflection of your character and we're supposed to live that way yes yes and yes but then you say come 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 follow me come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest and then you challenge us you invite us and you challenge us to go and make disciples You you take us on as, as apprentices and you send us out and you commission us. Yes, come into a relationship. Now go as my representatives. Relationship and representation. What a powerful combination. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I pray that you would fill every person in this place with your Holy Spirit. I pray that every person here struggling with some issue some besetting thing would just their heart would bow before you, cry out in confession, receive your healing and your restoration, and move forward in victory. I pray that we would all receive, and that's me, I'm saying that for me. I pray that we would have this sense of Holy Spirit filledness to us as we move forward. May we choose the good news narrative, may we leave behind what we're clamoring and trying to hold on to, safety, security, comfort, ease, let us lay that aside for the glory of the cross and the sake of the gospel. Fill every student, every person here, I pray, with your presence. Anoint them for service and ministry. Guide them, protect them, keep them, watch over them. Fulfill Your will in their lives. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in the lives of this body of believers here this morning. I pray in the name of Jesus, the great I am. Amen. Amen.